Thank you, Natalie. So it was a number of years ago that uh, my wife worked for an agency that was part of uh, uh, caring for, uh, connected to brain care, uh, brain awareness, injury awareness. And so they did a fundraiser of uh, hiking up Pikes Peak. How many of you have hiked Pikes Peak, just out of curiosity? Okay, a good number of you, so you're going to know. So we started, uh, Kendra and I did this together, and we started early in the morning. It was still dark, and uh, we were with a group of folks, and we're heading up uh, Pikes Peak. And I would say it's, it's about 13 miles, roughly, uh, from the base to the top. And so the first 10 miles were pretty enjoyable. We really, it was there, we, we engaged in it, we felt really good. The last three miles, not so enjoyable. In fact, we've been hiking five, six hours, whatever it was beforehand, right? Our, our bodies are tired, and, and we're at an altitude where you're starting not to be able to breathe fully, right? And we're getting tired. And, and in fact, when you're, when you're close, we could actually see at different times the, the peak and where we're going, and it seemed so close. But there was something at the top, I believe someone with malicious intent <laughs> created these switchbacks, right? And you just feel like you're walking horizontally for three hours. Your body is tired, you have no breath, and I'm who did this? Why is this? Are they looking down at us with glee as we suffer? Right? Credit to my wife. She hung in there. We, had, we took some breaks and we kept walking. We did finally make it to the top. We have a, a picture of us that uh, this is us. We made it there. We're all smiles, but this was a little bit more like a Chevy Chase moment looking at the Grand Canyon. We're like... All right, let's get down from We were so tired at that moment. I was thinking about that when I read the invitation of John the Baptist in the Gospel of John chapter 1. If you would, open your Bibles there to John chapter 1. And, and John the Baptist, not the author of the Gospel, um, he is really portrayed, you can read about that through verses 19 through, through 28, he's portrayed as this faithful witness. He faithfully is pointing to Christ. He's saying, he's the one, I'm not him. And he has this message and this ministry. He says, they're asking who he is. Is he the Messiah? Is he Elijah? Is he the prophet? And he says, no, no, and no. And he pulls from Isaiah. He says, this is who I am. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness, right? He's calling out. And listen to his message to the people. This is just before he's going to introduce Christ. But I want you to hear his message afresh, it's very simple, it's very short. Would you hear him speaking to you? He says, make straight the way for the Lord. 
make straight the way of the Lord. For some reason, I feel like in the spiritual journey, we so often and easily choose to do so many switchbacks back and forth that we allow our souls to become crooked. And God wants to do so much in our life. We we sang about his goodness available, all the, the benefits of heaven he wants to pour out into our lives. And sometimes it's the world, and sometimes it's people with true malicious intent that get in the way, but sometimes we just make it so difficult We don't simply say, yes, Lord. Come, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Do what you want to do. I trust you, God. And instead, we go on these special journeys, these detours, these switchbacks, back and forth. He's he's wooing us and inviting us to the top, and we're... We're spending it like this. I want, as we read the rest of chapter 1 of John's gospel, there's going to be a number of ways that Jesus initiates with the early apostles and with the disciples. We're going to notice that. And I want you to to hear and understand that not only was Jesus initiating and doing ministry to those early apostles, it's the same thing that he wants to do in your life today. I want you to hear and see his initiation. Instead of going on a switchback, would you just think about that healthy response? What does it mean to say, Yes, Lord, do that. I trust you. I'm here to receive. I'm not going to close my mouth and turn away like a kid who doesn't want to eat his spinach. But I'm going to say, yes, Lord, and open my mouth to all that you have for me this morning. All right, so we're going to pick up the story Uh, And actually, uh, verse 32, and we're just going to read section by section. Slowly, we're going to read each section. Oh, but before I do that, as uh, many of you are watching The Chosen, and there's just this little scene that kind of really sets up The Chosen and is kind of nice for us. So we're just going to watch minute and a half, two minutes of the scene. Philip just said, come and see. And I did. And Look, I, I don't know how to describe it other than He knew me before he knew me. I was standing next to John the baptizer. What? Creepy John. (laughs) And he walked by, like out of nowhere. 
and John freaked out. He said, Behold, I'm eating a new bug. Yes. He, he was just sitting there. Eating <laughs> lunch with all the construction workers, cracking jokes. I was uh, on my way to Jerusalem. I'm sorry. All of this is just, uh, it's difficult to talk about. Yeah, it uh, reminds me of how much I miss him. But we have to. I know. I just, I talk about him to others every day. It's difficult with all of you. It's, it's different with all of you. Just tell me about the first time you actually saw him. It was in a tavern. <laughs> he set his hand on mine. Which isn't what it sounds like. Maybe leave that part out. People will get confused. I don't know yet what I will be including. I'm just writing it all down. It was the fourth morning of the third week of the month of Adar. Sometime during the second hour. It doesn't have to be precise. Why wouldn't it need to be precise? Mine will be precise. My answer might not make sense. Try me, mother. I can hardly remember a time when I didn't know him. There's one little kick. Philip. You know what was happening there? It was John interviewing them, writing down what he would eventually put in his gospel that we're about to read. Right? Just a need to think about maybe he was recording and composing and the interview. Andrew, who we're going to read about, was in there and discussing. So let's pick it up from verse 32. Just read a couple of verses. It says, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove, and remain on him, Jesus. And I myself did not know him, at least he didn't know that he was the Messiah, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. So this is when he baptized Jesus, he's recalling. He sees the heaven open, as the other gospels share, and the, the Holy Spirit rest upon Jesus. And the one who sent him to baptize the Father said, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Boy, that'd be a good title for a mini series if you were to, the chosen one right there in that. Now, this is significant because 
Just pause right there that yes, part of what John is doing is he's unfolding the true identity of Christ Jesus. Remember in the prologue, he he talked about the, the, the infinite, the divinity of Christ and now he's saying this is how who Jesus was was revealed to the people and it was in baptism and he, and he saw that. So part of the identity of Jesus is, is front and center of what John is doing but he's also doing something else. He's sharing these stories not just about Jesus' identity, but it has significance for you. Did you catch it in just that little verse? What does, what's the significant in, significance of those verses for you? Jesus was anointed and baptized with water and then the Spirit. And Jesus wants to baptize you with his spirit. That, in fact, is that's why John begins with the idea of baptism of the spirit. It is central to the ministry of Jesus. And I want to suggest to you that the church has been really wonderful about creating all of these switchbacks when it comes to baptism of the Holy Spirit. And these theological trains and these, this confusion and the lack of experience. Would you set that aside for just a moment and let's follow John a little bit and talk about how he wants to baptize you in the spirit and what that means. And can we learn from a little bit right away John contrasts two baptisms or elements of baptism. Did you notice that? John came baptizing with, and Jesus wants to baptize with, okay. And John's baptism and and water baptism would come to symbolize salvation. That you go from being an unbeliever to a believer when you ask Christ in, and therefore you are baptized with water a symbol of salvation, obedience. If you haven't been baptized with water and you're a follower of Christ, then you should be baptized. Talk to me afterwards. How is baptism with the Holy Spirit different? The testimony of Scripture is is that the baptism with the Spirit is not about salvation. That when you receive Salvation, you receive the Spirit within. But when you're baptized with the Spirit, you receive the Spirit upon, and it's about power for life and ministry. I got a few amens there. Some of you are like, I don't know, I didn't hear that teaching before. It's okay, we can talk through it. Right, not all. But baptism with water symbolizes salvation. Baptism with the Spirit is about Christians who are being baptized with power, endowed with power, and Jesus wants to do that in your life, 
In fact, there's initial empowerment, which is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But also, there's many successive fillings when he provides power for that moment again and again. The fulfillment, the the biggest fulfillment for the whole church was Pentecost, where 120 were in the upper room, and they were Christians, they were disciples, they were followers of Christ. And then the Spirit came. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with... Anyone know? Clothed with what? Say it a little bit louder. Power, yes. Until you're clothed with power. They were clothed with power. Just going to give one example. Fast forward to Acts 8. And Philip has this ministry so powerful. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. People are giving their lives to Christ. They're, They're receiving Christ. And they're being baptized in water. Peter And John show up, their apostles, to to check out this profound ministry that's happening in Samaria. And they say, hey, where's the power? Essentially, they say that. Says, this is uh, Acts 8.15, when they, Peter and John, arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. Like the Spirit came, John the Baptist is talking about the Spirit coming on Jesus. So they're saying, has the Spirit come upon you? They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, That was water baptism about salvation. So what they did is they laid hands and the Spirit came in power. Friends, the Holy Spirit is the element in which Jesus wants to baptize you in. You can argue with me biblically and theologically. That's okay. Let's go on some zigzags. I'm willing to do some zigzags. Or you can say, I trust you, Father. I'm tired of living my life in my own strength. Lord, I want to open wide my heart, my mouth to you and receive your empowerment for life and ministry today. Jesus not only wants to empower you for ministry, but we also see central to the Gospels, if we keep reading, that Jesus wants to take away our sin. Again and again and again. Verse 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When they saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. If you flip back to verse 29, we didn't quite read this, but this is the the second time that John is going to identify this was part of his ministry. He was pointing out and helping them understand really two primary things about the ministry of Christ. That the Messiah was going to come and baptize with the Spirit of God and 
verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The, The disciples of John would have understand right away because they understood some of the ritual of the temple that was happening at that time, morning and evening, they would sacrifice a lamb. Do you know why they would do that at the temple? Why they would sacrifice lamb and other animals? It was the sins of the people. The sins of the people. And so really, there's a number of animals or offerings that were seen as as sin offerings, but the lamb in particular, right? And can you imagine, as a first century Jew, knowing the ritual of the temple, and then your rabbi, your teacher, John the Baptist, going, look, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And friends, I want to suggest that we perhaps have an incomplete view of sin and confession. Was, was trying to get at that a little bit in our time of communion. That, that oftentimes we misunderstand the role of confession in our life today. That he invites us because... He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Because of that, we can live a lives, lives that are free of condemnation and shame, that we can be authentic and say, I struggle, God, I lay this before you. Again, that because perhaps this association with shame and condemnation, that, that sometimes the church has proposed and communicated it's the wrong in fact this confession is meant to lead us not to places of shame but to places of righteousness of freedom of forgiveness he's moving us to paths of righteousness a life that's free from the shackles of sin a life that's free from the pollution of sin listen to the apostle Peter reflecting on this he says for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed or liberated what were we liberated from from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, your pre-Christian, pre-walking with Christ life that we can so easily fall into because we get entangled up in sin. He says, no, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, we get to live categorically new lives free from not just the penalty but the struggle and the bondage of sin that so easily entangles friends I seek to confess every day not because I'm tormented by condemnation not because I'm tormented by by shame, but because I know that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away my sins every day. I get to be set free 
from that. So, so confession for me, I look forward to, as crazy as that sounds. Because I want that freedom from the power of sin. Verse 37, would you continue with me? When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. I think this is somewhat humorous. As I was reading over this, I thought this was a little bit awkward. Like, these two are following Jesus. They're like just following after him, not saying anything. Right? And they're just kind of walking after him. And finally Jesus stops and, what do you want? No, I'm sure he didn't say it that way. But like there's this awkwardness, right? Like kind of like Jesus is the cool kid on the playground and they want to like be with him. And like, what do you want? Can we hang with you today? Right? Of course, there's this somewhat tradition, this rabbinic tradition of disciples being given access to the teacher and to the rabbi. And so they're following him. It's a pretty profound moment. I want you to notice a couple things about this interaction. That, that one, to, to start with, they're leaving John the Baptist... Do you notice that? And they're going to Jesus. You didn't really do that in rabbinic circles. And in fact, you had to be invited. A rabbi, it was considered a great privilege to the family if a rabbi, especially a prestigious rabbi, invited the children or, or a son to be a part of his discipleship. That it was a, making a statement like, okay, I think that this, this child has the maturity, has the, the wisdom to even begin and start, I'll let you in. As far as I can see, there's not a whole lot of requirements that Jesus is looking for. Save one. There was one requirement that Jesus was looking for from the story. Do you see it? What's that one requirement? What was the question he asked? What do you want? Do you want it? Is there desire is there a desire for more of what God has in store for you as a disciple? Is there a willingness to sacrifice other things in your life, even a discipling relationship with John the Baptist? Is there desire on your part? I think that is a worthy question that Jesus is asking you today. Do you want it? Do you want Jesus? 
Do you want more of Christ? Do you want a discipling relationship with him? So that's about the start and the initiation. And just like with the the empowerment with the spirit, just like confession, I also think there's a piece that's ongoing in terms of this relationship with Christ. He says, not only do you want it and do you enter and ask Christ into your life, but also this represents, I think it's so fascinating that did you catch, they go and spend the day with Jesus. They literally hang out with Jesus. They get time away. When was the last time you spent a day with Jesus? Mark 6 is an interesting chapter where um, at the beginning of Mark 6, he sends out the 12 to do ministry. And while the 12 are out, John the Baptist, whom we're reading about, is beheaded. It's later in the ministry. You can imagine the the impact on Jesus that John was beheaded by Herod. The disciples come back. They must have been exhausted from ministry, from power going out from them. They're tired and then probably told by Jesus that John the Baptist was beheaded. And this is going to be dangerous. So you can, you can imagine the weariness and then yet there were still crowds that were coming. And we're told in Mark Chapter 6, 31, come away with me. Jesus says to the disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had, had no leisure even to eat. So they get in a boat and they're going to try and find a desolate alone place just to recharge and renew Maybe just pray a little bit in the loss of John the Baptist and yet people anticipate where they're going to land the boat. And because Jesus is Jesus, he has compassion on them and he loves them and he teaches them. But I wonder if he said to his disciples, stay in the boat. I got this one. You need some time. Why don't you just spend some time with the Father and renew and recharge. Friends, I think today so often we just keep working and serving and ministering and living or we're just busy with stuff and we're missing the invitation and ministry of Christ for Jesus to say, would you come away with me? Take a day. Don't be productive. Put your lists down. Put your phones down. Just be with me. Verse 40. Andrew, he's one of the disciples of Jesus. Who was the other disciple? We're not told. High probability it was John, the inspired author of the gospel. So he doesn't name himself. But Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John said and who had followed Jesus, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now here's my question. Why right at the beginning did Jesus 
rename Simon and what significance does it have for us? Did you know that was really, God would do that in the Old and New Testament. He would rename Abram to Abraham or Sarai to Sarah, Genesis 17, 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Why did, why did God do that? I mean, Sarai is kind of an awkward name. Did you just not like Sarai? Was that just, he was like, ugh. What were your parents thinking during that? Why did God do that in the Old Testament? Why did Jesus do that here? And what does that significance have for us? Many of you know that Peter was Greek and um, Cephas was Aramaic and they both meant rock, was was Peter a rock in the Gospels? He was not. He was anything but a rock. He was all over the place, right? So he wasn't saying, oh, Peter, I recognize that. You're a rock. No. I wonder if Andrew and others chuckled when he gave him the name rock. They're like, Peter? (laughs) Well... Uh, first off by Jesus, the Messiah. He's missing it. What was Jesus doing? Would Peter become a rock in the early church, wouldn't he? Jesus right away was teaching Simon Peter of who he really is. This was an identity piece. that He wasn't naming Peter by his faults and by his sin and by his struggle, but he was calling out his true identity. He said, you will be a rock that I'm going to establish my church upon, that you will be there for the church. He was calling him out. And I wonder... Peter's response was like, well, okay, but you must not know me very well. Or did he say, all right, Jesus, I'm going to trust you to teach me who I truly am. Did you know that today Jesus wants to teach you who you truly are? We don't have to rename each other, but I know that some people have been led to rename. There there is a tradition of renaming people when they become Christian because of this, but he wants to say, hey, I'm your creator. I knit you together. Remember the prologue. Nothing was created. No one was created without Christ Jesus. He created you. He knows who you are, truly are. He has the plans and purposes of your identity, will you say yes? Will you say, I'll trust you, God. I'll let you teach me and disciple me and show me who I really am. 
Just like he was doing that for the early disciples, for Simon Peter, he wants to do that in your life today. The issue is not whether he wants to do that or does he have the willingness to do that. The question is, will you say yes and let him form and shape you? And finally, let's just read the end of this verse uh, 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip simply says yes. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel, that was the, I believe it was Nathaniel who started the video that we showed you from the chosen, and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. I was going to do a wisecrack about Pueblo because my wife is there, but I'm just going to pass it so the evening is better. At some points? Okay. Philip says, come and see. Interesting. Philip says, uses the same language that Jesus did to Andrew and John. Remember verse 39, come and you will see. Now, Philip is saying, come and see. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, uh, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. This is a different circumstance, right? He's naming the good. Nathaniel was already living into who he truly was by not having deceit. And because Jesus, maybe a prophetic word, maybe a word of knowledge, he recognized that immediately in Nathaniel. Nathaniel asks, how do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. We don't know what Nathaniel was doing. I like to think he was praying. He was studying the scriptures. And there was this divine appointment. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Just from a word of knowledge. He says, yes, I'm in. You are the man. You are the Messiah we've been waiting for. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? <laughs> okay. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, will you see heaven and open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of of man, how do you make that into an application point? Christ wants to show you angels ascending and descending upon you. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, there's an obvious reference to the story of Jacob in Genesis 28 where he falls asleep and it says... He, Jacob, had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth. Some of us know the old translation, ladder, Jacob's ladder from Sunday school. With its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Jesus intends us to read into that story application today. What is that? 
Well, one application is this, is Jacob will wake up and say, I didn't know that God was here. I'm going to name this place Bethel, the dwelling place of God. Jesus becomes the new Bethel. In some ways, this opens up the rest of the gospel because we're going to see an open heaven being poured out through the life of Christ. And angels ascending and descending or a supernatural ministry. God, Jesus is going to bring the kingdom of God through his life and ministry and message. And the disciples are going to see this open heaven pouring out through the life of Christ. But there's more. Jesus, I want to suggest, friends, not only becomes the new Bethel, where heaven meets earth, where the supernatural fills the physical, where there we've called it a thin place happens. But through the gospel, we're going to see that Jesus tells us that we are the new temple, that we are the new Bethel. And through the power of the Spirit, we're going to live lives where the heavens are open and the Spirit of God is descending upon us. And we're seeing the supernatural fill the natural. Well, we're seeing healing and restoration and the advancement of the kingdom of God. So friends, would you close your eyes for a moment with me? I'd like to invite the worship team forward. No, we're covering a lot, but can you just take a moment to ask, what's the way in which God is inviting, inviting you that you need to say yes to him this morning? It might be empowerment, that you've zigzagged your way along this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but this is the morning that you need to say yes to his empowerment. Maybe it's the confessional life that you've only turned away from your own sin, neglected or buried it because of shame, and you're like, no, I need to live and be set free from the powers of sin or shame in my life. Is it you need to hear the invitation to go away and spend the day with Jesus? Maybe for the very first time, if you are not a Christian, you need to receive him and say yes to Christ. You can talk to me about in the extended period that we're going to have. Maybe you've been trying to figure out who you are in your own terms, in your own way. This morning you need to say, yes, Lord, I trust you to teach me who I truly am. Or maybe it's this idea of a supernatural ministry to say yes to living a life with an open heaven.
Would you stand with me? I'm going to give the benediction and and some of you it's need to get your kids or connect in the atrium. If you're new here, you might want to pick up a a, a welcome packet and so forth. And, and if you go, you might want to just hold on to this word throughout the week and return to it. Maybe reread John chapter 1 and bring it to prayer. Would you spend some time with the Lord and say, God, what are you saying to me? I don't want to just hear your word preached. I want to live it, as James said. Maybe you'd like some extended time of prayer with one another. That's what we're going to do. You watch the World Cup and there was extra time, right? So Jedediah went too long at the front of the service, so we're going to add some extra time. All right, maybe I did a little bit. And we're just going to have, but yeah, you can. we'll give you about three, four minutes, grab a cup of coffee, renew it if you want. We'll have the coffee open do that. And then we, if you want to stay where you're seated, you can. You can come forward. We're going to just pray and ask what the Lord wants to do, how he wants to pray and a little afterglow of the service. Or you might want to just share with a friend. Boy, the pastor said this, I felt like the Spirit said this. And I'm trying to figure out what he's doing. If you're comfortable, would you open your hands? So Holy Spirit, would you come? We ask that you come within us and upon us. Would you fill us to live the lives you've called us to live? Jesus, we hear your invitation in all these ways. Lord, we want to say yes. Help us to say yes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you all.